welcome to the Leadership Under Fire Optimizing Human Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Patty Murphy, and today you'll be hearing from a guest who you may recognize from an episode we published in the spring of 2019 on risk and resilience. Please welcome back Deputy Chief Eric Nuremberg, who currently serves as our team's leadership director. Eric is a deputy chief with the Iowa City Fire Department and is a second-generation firefighter. He's a veteran of the United States Marine Corps and holds a bachelor's degree in English from the University of Iowa. In 2013, Eric graduated from the National Fire Academy's Executive Fire Officer Program. His research during the four-year program focused on rapid tactical decision-making under stress and the psychological and physiological effects of stress on tactical performance. He continues to research human factors related to tactical performance and is the co-author of Fire Psych, Mental Toughness, and the Valor Mindset for the Fireground. Eric, it's so good to have you here today and in person. We'll talk more about why you're here in New York this week in just a bit. But first, how are you today? Welcome. I'm great, Patty. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. First, Let's unpack your background because we really didn't get to it the last time you were here on the show. So first, you joined the Marines out of high school, then went to college. As I mentioned in the intro, you earned a bachelor's degree in English, which I love, by the way. Why major in English? Well, almost 25 years later, I'm still certain that I made the right choice. I think it's a great question. Um the truth is, is that, you know, like a lot of things in my life, it, it happened mostly by accident. At the time I chose the major, the logic was simply that I loved to read. And because I spent a lot of time deployed while I was a Marine, I was separated from a lot of, uh, of like normal downtime activities, social activities. And so uh, I studied a lot. And um, I read about the histories of the countries I was in and, and the battles that had happened there. And and uh, that effort, for me, really enriched the experience of, of being in those foreign places. And, and I, I thought that it, it really um, uh, was very valuable. So I also read an enormous amount of fiction. And, and, and so when it came time to choose a course of study in college, I decided that I should probably be a teacher and studying and teaching English r- really helped me. And, and um, I, I think to, to, to continue to pull at that thread, I'm I'm just a huge proponent of the the liberal arts education, so I'm happy to hear you say that that you love it as well. You know, in English, for example, not only can you absorb an incredible amount of knowledge, but you gain with it an incredible amount of of historical and and contemporary context that that can help explore the themes of like uh, virtue and vice, and good and evil, and race and culture, and class and faith, and and uh, the the liberal arts education not only gives you knowledge, but it also instills, I think, sense-making skills, which help you to apply what you've learned in in a lot of different ways. Sense-making skills. And that brings us to your career in firefighting. Can you please give a brief overview of your firefighting career? Sure. I I had the uh, kind of the classic Americana upbringing in a small Iowa farm town and uh, a very different place from where we're sitting today. But one of the memories that stands out the most about my childhood is just time spent at the firehouse. And uh, my dad was a firefighter. My uncle was the town's fire chief. My cousin was a firefighter. My little brother became a firefighter. And so did, you know, so were a few of my uncles. And and uh, it was definitely a family business then. So I probably spent as much time as anyone 
playing behind the steering wheel of an old uh, American LaFrance and and dreaming of being a firefighter someday. But I, I think to say that um, to, to say that I really had any focused ambition in terms of a, a vocation when I was young would be a, a stretch. So fast forward past my time in the Marine Corps to to the university campus and. Here's when I really was feeling the pressure about trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, I was really loving college. I loved to study, and and I was thinking about grad school. But it it also didn't take long for me to really miss the Marines. And uh, studies kept my hands full, and and it kept my mind occupied. But I spent a lot of time reminiscing about the the battle rhythm and the Marine Corps and the brothers and sisters and and the camaraderie and, and the shenanigans even. So by the time I was halfway done with my studies, at Iowa, I had kind of moved teaching to the back burner and decided that I wanted to pursue a vocation that was that was more mission oriented. Shortly after I graduated from college, I was blessed to be appointed to the Iowa City Fire Department, and and uh, I just celebrated 18 years on that job. Congratulations! Thank you. And uh, I've spent I've spent almost my entire career working at Station One in downtown Iowa City, which houses an engine and a truck, a heavy rescue, and a battalion chief. And and so just in terms of my career. Uh, I was a lieutenant on that engine company and, and later a captain on the truck in, in that firehouse. And, and following a few years as a battalion chief, I was um, I was promoted to, to deputy chief, and, and I just finished my second year in, in that role. Wow. <laughs> Thanks for sharing all of that. So as you mentioned, fast-forwarding on the timeline a bit, what brought you to leadership under fire or perhaps what brought leadership under fire to you? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. So in 2009, uh, the 2009 to 2013 timeframe, I was a candidate in the Executive Fire Officer Program at the National Fire Academy. And the EFO program is it's kind of a, a graduate level, long-term program, you know, uh, to develop leaders in the fire service. And candidates spend two weeks in residence at the NFA campus each year for, for four years. And uh, I think it's a great informative experience, but the real value in the program is that candidates are tasked with doing uh, one major applied research project per year in the program. And in applied research, a candidate defines a problem that affects their organization, and they draft a list of research questions which uh, help the researcher kind of systematically gain a better understanding of the problem and, and identify solutions so, and this leads into kind of a rigorous literature review and and, and an examination of, of what's been done by others to address similar problems, and and hopefully some original research effort is included as well. And um, in the final analysis, the researcher compiles a list of conclusions and recommendations which which address the, the research problem. So, uh, I had prepared some research on succession planning and on the problem of collegiate fire fatalities in off-campus housing, but by the time I was halfway through the program, I was really taking a careful look at what passed for risk assessment methodology in the fire service, and I was kind of comparing that with what I had learned about assessing and embracing risk in the Marines. Uh, Actually, a young firefighter on my job had given me a book entitled Boyd by Robert Corum, and it's a biography of, of Air Force Colonel uh, John Boyd, who played a really important part in totally reforming Marine Corps warfighting doctrine. And this appealed to me because as a young Marine, when the, the new doctrine, uh, Marine Corps doctrinal publication number one, warfighting, was introduced to, to the fleet, I, I was there. And 
And uh, that doctrine was, was really oriented in part to fostering a deeper understanding of the complexities of the threat environment so that Marines could be trained to to function optimally in the midst of that chaos and uncertainty and and fluidity and kind of kind of the things that the the uh the navy seal commander talked about on on your podcast and and uh, so as i said i'm reading this book and i'm reflecting on my experiences and it's leading me to think think seriously about how we approach the complexities of the, of the fire ground and after reading Boyd, I was examining training paradigms and asking myself why the fire service books and academies had absolutely nothing to say about navigating uncertainty or or fostering situational awareness or developing better decision makers under stress. So I undertook a research um, project to, to examine how people make rapid tactical decisions under stress. And so, Patty, the first thing you do when you identify a uh, a research project at the National Fire Academies, you go down to, to the library and you look at the, the tens of thousands of other research projects that they have and you see who's done something similar mm-hmm. before in the past, right? So that you could either, uh, uh, you know, hopefully add to the, the research. And and uh, I, I was surprised to find when I looked that, uh, that, that there was nothing on the subject. And we kind of joke a little bit now that there were more research projects about putting uh, – solar panels on fire stations and there were about making wow. rapid tactical decisions under stress. And so, uh, so I undertook that, that project and, and, uh, produced a, a research paper that was a process that was very informative for me. And later I, I was doing a subsequent research project, which examined the, the psychological and the physiological effects of stress on performance. And, and one thing that I wanted to do was get a solid interview from a Marine officer who had experience leading Marines in combat and, and hopefully, who also had experience on the fire ground. But where does that person exist, right? I mean, I, I didn't know at the time. and, and uh, but, but my hope was that if I could, could, could find a person like that, that they could validate some of my hypotheses and, and maybe even add some fresh perspective. So in the spring of 2011, I think, I, I, uh, I was going to the Fire Department Instructors Conference in Indianapolis, and I opened my catalog uh, to see that a, a Marine captain and FDNY firefighter was teaching a class on that very topic. So his name was Jason Bresler. Mm-hmm. I cold called him and I, I told him who I was and what I was up to. And I asked if we could, you know, grab lunch or a cup of coffee in Indianapolis. And, and uh, c- could I get an interview with him for, uh, for my research project? He said, sure. Um, and so we met and we sat and we talked for a couple of hours and, uh, we realized that we were essentially exploring the very same themes and concepts apart from one another. And, and so Jason asked me if I wanted to come aboard and, and, and uh, help promote reform in the American Fire Service, and, and I was happy to accept. It's hard to even believe that's a coincidence. So that's a wonderful story. And of all the questions that I can ask you about your leadership under fire experience, as one of Leadership Under Fire's original plank owners – what aspects of LUF have you enjoyed the most? Boy, there's a lot of things that I really appreciate about this team, Patty, and it, it, it's it's difficult to pick a, a single aspect. But I, I do think that in a world which seems to be driven by attention and affirmation, I just couldn't be more impressed with the quiet professionalism of, of, of my teammates here. Um. I'm certainly kind of an unremarkable guy who, uh, on this team who stands back and sees a bunch of men and women who are super legitimate in their respective endeavors. And, uh, 
you know, we've got people from the team who today are leading high stakes military operations and going to fires and complex emergencies and they're engineering corporate mergers and teaching professional and Olympic athletes how to optimize their performance and they're training special forces operators. I mean, really, really impressive people. Um, And they're not only performance leaders with significant experience and expertise, but but they're thought leaders as well, and, and, and they really challenge one another to better understand what makes an optimal performer or, or how to develop a mission-oriented leader. So I'm, I'm just really thankful to be a part of a group of, of humble, quiet professionals who, who want to be better for no other reason than just to be better and, and not to gain any notoriety or have any kind of hoped, hyped up uh, social media profile. Mm-hmm. They just want to be better people first and and better public servants as a result, and and they're doing both with a level of, of rigor and humility that, in my experience, is totally uncommon, and I, I love it. Yeah, and I think to that end, I've heard you and other members of the team speak about a desire to foster mission-oriented leadership in first responders. To be clear, what is the distinction between leadership in a general context and mission-oriented leadership? Wow, Patty, that's a really tough question to unpack uh, here, but we'll, we'll give it a try. So, w- when folks talk about leadership in the general sense, I I think that they're usually talking about um, a characteristic or a collection of characteristics which cause cause other people to do something. Um, the list of characteristics, I guess, could be long, but you know, we think of like delegation or servitude, you know, servant leadership, communication, kindness. Um, fairness and inspiration, these things, they come to mind. But the mission-oriented leader possesses uh, some of these solid char- characteristics as well, but but he or she has got to be much more because their challenge is, is generally much more demanding, right? Um, mission-oriented leadership leverages a sense of purpose that unites the organization i think it, it gives a it gives um it gives an organization professional focus and, and and personal meaning but but it also fosters resilience and persistence and and i would say most importantly really an, an uncompromising will to win so what we're we're talking about is a leader who can contribute to building and sustaining a mission-oriented culture and I do think it's important to note that mission-oriented leaders are both formal and informal, mm-hmm. and they come from all ranks, right? In, in fact, if you take the fire service, for example, I think that the most effective mission-oriented leaders function at like the senior firefighter and the company officer level. And m- mission-oriented leadership uh, demonstrated from senior staff is critical, but it comes more in the form of, of expressing philosophy and intent so that firefighters and company officers can go exercise great initiative with that intent and do the things that they're really good at doing. And, and also, I think there's also the, the aspect of just generally supporting and equipping the troops, and, and that kind of goes without saying. But why it's important to make the distinction that mission-oriented leadership uh, can be and should be fostered and practiced at every level is this. Within a mission-oriented culture, every member is both a leader and a follower. Right, so the transcendent name of the, of the fire chief, which is mission accomplishment, is precisely the same as that of the rookie firefighter. So mission oriented leadership is distinct um, because who you follow matters much less than what you what you follow. 
So I mentioned that the mission-oriented leader's task is much more demanding, and that's primarily because the mission is usually accomplished in a high-risk environment, right? I mean, that, that's what we've been talking about, and, mm-hmm. and your other guests have talked about it as well. The mission-oriented leader is charged with playing an important part in, in accurately, rapidly assessing and embracing risk. And in addition to technical competence, the mission-oriented leader you know, must have, must have a, like a fostered tolerance for risk because at two o'clock in the morning, they'll be deciding to place themselves and, and, and their brothers and sisters in great danger when the outcome is uncertain, when, when a lot of things are uncertain. Mm-hmm. So in order to be much better in high-risk situation, these sorts of leaders must be committed to, to building mutual trust in their unit or organization. And, and, and when I say that, I'm not talking about trust as a platitude, but the, the sort of multi-directional trust that's the product of a lot of shared experience. And once you have some of that, I think mission-oriented leaders can foster a, a much higher degree of, of implicit communication, which in turn can promote a much higher degree of initiative on the behalf of the subordinates. And, but it's all rooted in the mutual trust between the commander and the subordinates, right? And, and if you can do this, then you've effectively decentralized your command and control, and you've suddenly you're, you're leveraging the collective insight and intelligence of maybe dozens of people instead of a, a single commander. So... I guess if you go back to the beginning of of, of this answer, <laughs> you have building block atop building block atop building block until you get to a system that creates force multipliers, right? Which is especially important if you – I mean, it's important in New York City, but it's especially important if you come from a, a resource-limited organization like 99% of the other public safety agencies in the country. We're going to touch on that a little bit later on. Thank you for articulating that definition your English degree is showing. (laughs) So you frequently serve as the program director for many leadership under fire development courses, specifically the leadership development courses for fire rescue leaders. Can you tell me what the courses involve in terms of the curriculum? Yeah, so many of the podcast episodes that you've done so far, Patty, really give a snapshot of the LDC curriculum. We deeply explore mission-oriented leadership like we've been talking about and the leadership under fire philosophy of developing leaders for for highly competitive settings, ones who possess strength of mind and body and character and critical thought. And we do this by drilling into the moral and the physical and the mental rigors, which are critical for optimal performance. And we also explore risk assessment and risk tolerance and examine how the moral imperative is really at the heart of of those things. And um, we spent several hours exposing student leaders to the science of optimizing human performance, like taking a look at the neuroscience, which governs performance under stress, and, and taking a, a, a long look at decision-making processes and, and cognition. And, and then we examined perceptual distortion under stress and, and really gain an appreciation for how our brains can both help us and, and betray us in different contexts. And finally, we learn proven techniques for enhancing psychological and physiological resilience under stress. And I would mention um, Jim McNamara, one of your recent podcast guests. Great podcast, by the way. Uh, he contributes by teaching us how to lead our peers and foster excellence at any level of, of an organization. And we do a day of tactical fitness with with Jimmy Lopez, who was also your guest, and mm-hmm. and um, he he takes a deep dive into resilience and recovery and functional movements for the tactical athlete. 
and, and we typically hold a breathing workshop, which is facilitated by Dr. Belissa Vranick, who is a, a subject matter expert on breathing for optimal performance and health. And this is something that sometimes people are skeptical of going into, but but afterwards they're just amazed. They drink the Kool-Aid. Right? They are amazed. <laughs> and it really is um, fantastic. So uh, we also do a lot of fireside chat activity uh, on the farm where student leaders t- uh, take what they've learned and, and use each other's, each other's help to sympathize their, or, or rather to synthesize a, a better understanding of some complex material. And um, we've got seminars on critical thinking and complex problem solving and, and developing and implementing command philosophies and, and generating tempo on the fire ground. And, and our capstone exercise for the leadership development course is a, is a staff ride at Antietam where we, we go to the battlefield and, and we analyze mission-oriented leadership um, on, the, on the bloodiest day in American history. Wow. That must be very impactful. And fortunately, later in this episode, we'll hear from some leaders who've attended uh, one of these events. But can you describe the types of industries that are represented at these courses? Yes. Yeah, so so we have people from all walks of public safety, um, the fire service, uh, e- EMS providers, uh, law enforcement at the at municipal and, and state and, and federal levels. We've uh, had military people and, and uh, civilians. Um, from different governmental agencies and business folks. And uh, this year, we even had a uh, a, a professor of chemistry. Um, and you're going to talk to him a, a little bit later, I think. But, you know, the the great thing that we acknowledge is that the, the lessons of, of optimized human performance and mission-oriented leadership are, are really universal, right? Mm-hmm. Only their application is contextual. And so regardless of what walk of life you come come from, uh, you can find great benefit in, in a program like this. And our students often reflect, you know, when we do our, our course reflections at the end of the, uh, at, at the end of the long week that, that the LDC is really about becoming a better person mm-hmm. than it is uh, a, a better leader. So you're a chief officer, a nationally certified fire officer, and a graduate of the National Fire Academy's Executive Fire Officer Program. What makes the LUF Leadership Development Course different or unique from other fire service leadership and management development programs? Okay. Um, well, after c- close to 20 years in the fire service and after having talked to thousands of folks around the country about about leadership training paradigms and performance training paradigms. There's there's no question that the American Fire Service does one thing really well, and unfortunately, one thing almost exclusively, and that's that's tactical training. Mm-hmm. That's skills-centric learning. But we understand that whether we're talking about police officers or firefighters or EMS providers and, and, uh, and, and undoubtedly, especially police officers, the world's becoming much more complex and challenging, right? Uh, emergencies escalate faster. We're learning about how fires burn faster and hotter. And and um, all of it's complicated by a higher degree of uncertainty and fluidity and, and resource shortfalls and a host of other pervasive attributes. And while fire service training programs focus on tactics and technology and, and command and control models, what's overwhelmingly neglected, I think, is developing cerebral and, and forward-thinking leaders who understand the science of, of optimizing performance at fires and emergencies. So 
Our curriculum represents a, a significant departure, I think, from traditional models because it's founded on uh, synthesis of, of a great deal of operational experience in in endeavors ranging from the military to business to professional sport to operational psychology. And um, the, the ability of the fire service to succeed in its mission, I think we could say um, the, the mission of protecting life and property while reducing risk to personnel might in some ways be influenced by technical skills and by technology and by command and control models or or fire behavior science. But we believe strongly that mission success is always contingent on the, the human factors, right? The moral, the mental, mm-hmm. the physical qualities and the abilities of people who respond to, to, the, to the threat. So our curriculum is oriented towards equipping current and emerging leaders toward that end. And, and we know that the LDC curriculum changes leaders and and it changes organizations. I would even mention my boss, the the, uh, Iowa City Fire Chief John Greer. He attended the leadership development course and and by his own admission gained a lot of valuable perspective. And and he returned home to to publish one of the most solid command philosophy documents that I've ever seen. And and, um, it's really, his document has served as as a model for other fire chiefs. And it really guides our organization and, and, um, as as mission oriented guidance, it gives all the men and women of my fire department something to to rally around, and that's putting the learning into action. and And uh, we couldn't ask for more. In terms of putting the learning into action, one of the critical components to the leadership under fire leadership and human performance philosophy embraces the concept of mentorship, and the team has employed a number of mentors that have played a prominent role in programs and courses, which include FDNY Captain John Vigiano, Chief Warrant Officer 5 Jim Russell, and FDNY Lieutenant Danny Murphy, just to name a few. Mm. Why do you see this as an important component? It's foundational for us. And the LUF team didn't have to develop a philosophy about mentors because all all of the plank holders, when we came together, already firmly embraced mentors. And we had several established relationships um, and they were those relationships were forged not only for professional development, for, but for for personal growth as well. So, uh, let me say a word about the value of mentors. Though I think many organizations sell themselves short by assigning mentors to uh, to their younger mem- members, and perhaps they'd be doing themselves a favor if they just called these coaching programs. But I, I hear about this a lot where, wherever I go. Is that people have a, a they have official mentor. Uh, programs where mentors are assigned. And and first of all, I would say, I think that it's a falsehood that you need to be a rookie to have a mentor. Um, I think we all need mentors, right? Uh, and, and secondly, I'd strongly encourage anyone who wants to be better in any way to seek out their own mentors. It, it helps, in my view, to start by creating an image of your future self and then identify someone or or probably more than one person who has the experience and the knowledge and the virtue and the skills that can help you fill the gap between who you are now and and who you want to become, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to select your own, and you have to forge a relationship where no where no conversation is off limits. So, when when we came together, we had already forged these relationships over time with people like Captain Vigiano and and Lieutenant Murphy and Chief Warrant Officer Five Roussel and and Sandy Alderson and and others and. While they were personally selected mentors for, for, for members of our team, we, we thought that, that we really had a great opportunity to establish them as kind of like a, 
a, a board of elders, really, mm-hmm. to to just help illuminate our path and help guide the team. And and I can speak for all the members of the team when I say that the collective insight and the intellect and the guidance of these men had been, it had been, it has been invaluable, right? Mm-hmm. And I also want to say that um, I think that the two part podcast that you produced honored Captain Vigiano, who who is our, our our senior mentor, was it was very fitting and certainly an excellent tribute to a leader who was a fire service legend. And um, but but even more importantly, a better human being. Yeah, you did a great job. Thank you. It was an honor to do that and create that historical record where people can revisit those stories and learn. Ultimately, leadership under fire has delivered three separate leadership development courses to fire rescue leaders in the Prince George's County Fire Department. Describe what it's been like contributing to the leadership development within this department we've been talking a lot about at the individual level, so switching gears to this. Yeah, well, when when former Chief um, Mark Bayshore approached Leadership Under Fire about developing uh, a leadership development program for PG County, I really couldn't have imagined how interesting it would be to see behind the curtain of of what I learned was one of the most complex public safety organizations in America – I mean, Prince George's County is a it's a rapidly growing department of, of about three thousand members, which is a a solid mix of career and volunteer who protect more than a million people in the in the national capital region. and And I would say that uh, in PG County, they face as wide an array of operational challenges as any fire department in the country, right? Mm-hmm. But it's really been a rewarding experience now, having facilitated their leadership development programs for a number of years to to deal with performance leaders who are all in for for implementing a mission oriented culture. I mean, this organization that we're talking about is it's equipped with super legitimate firefighters and fire officers who are critical thinkers, uh, and, and I really believe they're going to be setting the bar for the American Fire Service in terms of of sustaining their own program. So we've helped them identify. Their own leaders who who are on the path toward becoming subject matter experts in the dimensions that we've discussed. And it's really satisfying for me to see a program like theirs go from implementation to self-sustaining in really a relatively short period of time. And the credit for that goes entirely to the membership and, and the leadership of that department. I'm super impressed with uh, with who they are and what they do. That's excellent. In addition to delivering leadership programs to fire departments, such as Prince George's County, Leadership Under Fire hosts open enrollment leadership development courses for fire service leaders. And I know that courses were initially held in a conference setting, but in recent years, the courses have been held on a farm in rural Western Maryland. Why go off the grid? Well, because I'm a country boy. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> now, what what we've learned over time is that the full immersion experience, Patty, adds a value that really can't be quantified. Uh, I mean, like you said, we hosted a few in hotel conference centers in Chicago, and they did exceed our expectations in terms of, of intellectual rigor and, and personal impact uh, for the student leaders. But we did notice that at night we were missing a lot of opportunities because people either went back to their room in the hotel or they divided up into small groups to explore uh, the city. And as a team, we're really big believers that synthesis in learning is is a, a huge catalyst to success, right? And and being able to take things that you've learned 
in different contexts and from different people and in different places and kind of knit those thoughts together um, that either change or, or confirm what you believe, we really think that it's paramount to fulfilling that image of your future self. So this kind of synthesis gets facilitated in conversations outside the classroom, right? So we sense that we could really enhance the experience by going to to uh, to a place that allowed us to spend more time together. And so we chose a really a historic farm in the mountains of of Western Maryland, where where we'll take twenty five or thirty performance leaders and spend the week uh, largely unplugged from the world, with no other agenda than just to learn and to challenge one another's ideas and and to have fellowship. And the return on investment in terms of individual impact, I, I think, has has been off the charts, and I think you'll be able to confirm that when you talk to uh, the student leaders later in the program. Uh, I think many people wish that they could just stay a little bit longer, right? And the members of the team love it as well because we're all lifelong students, and it isn't cliche at all to say that we often feel like we learned more during the course of the week than the students did. And it's that environment uh, at, at the farm, just getting to spend all those extra hours together that really makes that happen. I think on that note, let's hear from some of the attendees. Greg Sobel, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks, Patty, for having me. Can you give our listeners a brief background on your current role? Yes, I uh, have been working for the uh, Seattle Fire Department uh, as a firefighter for about 16 years. You've been to the leadership development course twice. How would you describe the experience to others? I guess my word for, uh, for it would be unique. I think in that space uh, where you have a lot of people talking about leadership and um, uh, teaching on leadership and writing on it, I think a lot of it really is a little more toward uh, management disguised as leadership versus actual leadership. And uh, I think what you get at this conference is a, a pretty wide variety of aspects of leadership that aren't really covered uh, elsewhere. Um, lots of thought exercises, uh, which are uh, very helpful, uh, certainly in the uh, in the moral aspect of, of leadership there. It has the physical component, which, you know, as you get a little bit older, that becomes uh, that much more important. You're trying to get some longevity in your career and whatnot. So that's, that's pretty unique uh, in this conference. It's not just sitting around all day mm-hmm. and uh, listening to people speak their mind. You're kind of actively involved. And I also like that it's uh, really, it's you know, it's geared towards a high-risk environment. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of folks that are sitting in there uh, in the group have a have similar careers or professions or pursuits. And it's just nice to be amongst uh, amongst people that, that have that uh, aspect of their life. It kind of feels like you're speaking the same language. And does the off-the-grid communal immersion experience have an impact? Oh, absolutely. You know, without a doubt, I think today, you know, probably more than uh, than any other time, just the speed at which things come at us in terms of our inputs, um, demands on our time, um, that can be a little bit overwhelming. And, and the, the bad part is, is that it really crowds out our ability to focus. Um, sometimes we think we can focus and uh, we end up really multitasking and, and you know, not doing either either side of, of things that well. So, um, having the ability to travel, to get out of your, you know, your neighborhood, to leave a lot of those inputs behind and really focus on, on the task at hand is incredibly helpful, especially for leaders, right? To, mm-hmm. to get out and have a little bit of solitude and, and get away and be able to think about some higher level 
issues. Great. And what were the most valuable takeaways for you? I can see with a little bit more clarity that uh, leadership really is, is more of an endeavor over a long period of time than it is trying to uh, figure out exactly how to lead something um, in the moment. And so for me, uh, I've been really interested in this intersection of identity and leadership and how it is that that people that work in these high-risk environments, they're high achievers, uh, how it is that they attach themselves to these different endeavors. And and so I, I just really appreciate the like the moral and philosophical uh, discussions that we have in terms of take takeaways. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really kind of just continues to broaden and mature, I think, this uh, outlook on leadership that I have and into a much more long-term uh, endeavor with much longer-term goals, uh, you know, depending on on how you're leading and, and who you're leading and what your mission is at the, at the time. You know, that has a, that has a really big uh, effect on things. I mean, you have a very short-term mission or, you know, and most of us uh, have family or friends or people that we want to influence. Uh, my wife and I have three kids that we're, we have this long-term picture. And so what is what does leadership look like in that aspect? What does it look like in the aspect of being on the job and how the people that I interact with there, how am I speaking into their lives? And yet we're still completing our mission that's in front of us. Jonathan Humston, thank you so much for being with me today. Yeah, thank you. I'm happy to be here and happy to talk to you. So can you give our listeners a brief background on your current role? I'm actually currently an assistant professor of chemistry at Mount Mercy University. And I'm a volunteer public safety diver with the Johnson County Metro Dive Team in Iowa City, Iowa. What brought you to the farm? My wife, actually. I've actually been around the firehouse my whole life. My father was started as a firefighter before I was born. And after 29 years, he retired as a battalion chief. And my wife has been a firefighter since she was 19. Mm-hmm. And um, so after after contemplating firefighting many times in my past I guess I just decided to marry one instead. Um, But she is on the Iowa City Fire Department, and she's a captain, and she came to the leadership development course last year. And uh, her and I together have been following LUF for quite a while. And when she came home from last year, she said, you have to come to this. So I'm a chemistry uh, professor by trade, but my academic hobbies really line up well with Leadership Under Fire. Um, I'm very interested in like psychology, kind of mental toughness, mental performance. And so I thought that I might have something to learn coming to, to the course. And, and I, I definitely did. Happy to hear that. How would you describe the experience to others? It's kind of hard to describe because it's, it's different than some other leadership courses that I've, I've, or academies that I've been involved in. The fact that it was at a farm on a retreat, like away from the rest of kind of busy life was was really great. Um, it meant that we were all focused on one thing together, and we had a very loose schedule. Um, I don't I don't think I actually looked at it very often mm-hmm. because we just let the conversations go as long as they needed to go. Um, our meals were often pushed back, and no one complained because we were all really engaged in in the uh, in the topic at hand, and so. It was, it was really cool to have real purpose behind behind the content because it was, it was a room full of fire officers with a really important job. And 
the consequences of, of their job it, are, are quite serious. And so it seemed to me like everyone was there with a real purpose and an open mind to learn new things and um, hopefully come away, come away with something to take back uh, to home to, to be better in, in all aspects that they could. But as you mentioned, you're not in the fire service. So what were the most valuable yeah. takeaways for you? Yeah, I'm I'm not. And so I had kind of an interesting perspective because I, I've been around it my whole life. And so I feel a little bit like I know the firehouse, but of course I don't really because I'm not actually in it. So I was partway an insider and part part an outsider. And so I, I really kind of approached it with m- multiple perspectives as, as just like a supporter and an advocate for the fire service and, and my wife, obviously, as a spouse. Um, I also had the perspective of a scientist and an academic. And then I had the perspective uh, personally um, as, you know, a husband, as a father, as a, as a neighbor, as a friend, as, as a man in society. And so um, really like the, the principles of mission-oriented leadership and rapid decision-making under stress and the moral imperative of leadership and just being prepared uh, really it crosses disciplines. And those are those principles I think can apply to anyone. And so I, I came away, I'd say, as as a spouse to a firefighter, which is kind of a unique position to be in, really understanding, I think, where my, where my wife's coming from, mm-hmm. what her perspective is, what she deals with every day going to work. And I had an idea, but this really opened it up to me. And um, also knowing that uh, a lot of fire officers from that serve my community in Iowa City have gone through this course and are are kind of a new breed of 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 officer looking at you know psychological effects and the human effects like that really makes me feel better about my community actually mm-hmm. and safer knowing that that they're they're out pursuing these questions and trying to to be better as a scientist i'd say i was i was really impressed with the just the volumes of books and articles and and resources that the instructors uh came to class with that they they integrated into into the course and and I, I came away with a lot of got good ideas a lot of interesting uh knowledge and information about about how the mind works and about decision making and, and all those things but also a lot of questions possible studies to pursue in the future a couple of quotes that really got to me was one um from the incomparable danny murphy was there and um he said that leadership is like it's the difference between going to the beach with your buddies and going to the beach with your kids and I, I just, I have kids mm-hmm. and I, I seriously know the difference. Uh, going to the beach isn't quite like it used to be, but I love the responsibility of that. And and then I, I also tied that story to um, a story that I've heard on your podcast. And that it came up again during the course about Captain Vigiano searching around the towers on 9-11. His sons were lost and he was saying, you know, I've got a hundred kids in there. and so. I mean, that, that's it. It's it's realizing that it's it's pretty much always the beach with the kids. And they're all my kids. And I and you and we are all needed in this world to, to be prepared and to step up and help. And so I think from multiple perspectives, I was able to absorb a lot and I think add to my slide deck of experiences. Um, just with whatever whatever comes next. Neely Hunt, thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks for having me here. 
Can you give our listeners a brief background on your current role? Sure. Uh, I'm in my 19th year with the Menlo Park Fire Protection District. Um, I was promoted in 2013 to company officer, and I spent the last two years as the officer on Truck One uh, and as my shift's platoon training officer. What brought you to the farm? Short answer, I was looking for something to do for my 50th birthday. I'd been introduced to the podcast probably nine months prior. And so I've been listening and I heard about this leadership immersion course that was happening and uh, it made my stomach hurt a little bit. And I thought that that would be a perfect thing to challenge myself with for my 50th birthday. Well, happy belated birthday. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad to hear that the podcast was the catalyst. I'm glowing. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm a a huge fan. That's great to hear. Yeah. So how would you describe the experience on the farm to others? On the farm, you're there for a common purpose. You're together regardless. <laughs> and so you have the opportunity to learn a lot about everybody who's there and why they're there and what their reasons are for being here to learn and taking it back to their perspective department. Yeah, so that's that's kind of how I I look at it. I thought it was a great experience. I thought it was the best way to really sit in what we were learning Mm -hmm. and have an opportunity to explore those concepts, Mm -hmm. you know, outside of the classroom, Yeah, you know, sitting on the front porch and walking around the farm and, you know, doing that sort of thing. So what were the most valuable takeaways for you? So, I had to go back into my notebook. I took almost an entire notebook full of notes. Ultimately, the whole week was awesome. Great information, not just from the instructors, but from the other students as well. I feel that my understanding of the concepts is just moving out of the kindergarten level. I feel like I was preschool, kindergarten level, especially my ability to discuss them. Um, And then being offered a new language, a vocabulary to describe human performance, not just on the fire ground, but in life. Uh, was a huge eye-opener, defining resilience, conceptually understanding that to build it, I need to fail, and still hating everything about failure, Mm -hmm. Uh, ultimately, though, learning from it and growing. Um, One that was, and I'm still sort of reeling from it, was playing to win instead of playing not to lose. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure when that changed in my life or my career, Uh, and forcing myself to take a look at not because it doesn't really matter when it happened, but being able to write the ship. So uh, to take a look at where I've been operating and, and start to make changes. And then learning to let go of the outcome and focusing instead on the process, because mm-hmm. that's where the passion is, right? Understanding that decisions made even with the best information and resources at the time uh, may not yield the expected results. Operating with that uncertainty and, mm-hmm. and being able to look at it as an obstacle to be navigated as opposed to a roadblock. I think mm-hmm. Jason actually said that in one of his podcasts, but, mm-hmm. or in his podcast, but um, that's been pretty huge. Eric, switching gears from the farm to the big city, you are a contributor to the FDNY's Mental Performance Initiative, which is what brings you to New York this week. Any reflections you'd like to share about this endeavor? Oh, where to begin with MPI, right? So the 7th the MPI is being conducted um, right now, and it, it's really difficult to put into words, I think, how influential this initiative is, not only for the FDNY, but 
but I strongly believe is a strategic change initiative that will in time impact the entire fire service. I'm always honored to contribute to the week, and I can't wait to meet the group later tonight and, and hear an update on how the, the FDNY continues to implement the, the scientifically and the operationally substantiated lessons, right, of, of enhancing human performance under stress in all aspects of the organization because they, they really are they're, – they're putting it into practice in, in every dimension. But I suppose here's my primary reflection when I think about MPI and, and within the context of our conversation – about mission-oriented leadership, I think that this program is an extraordinary extraordinary example of a progressive organization embracing mission-oriented leadership, right? The Mental Performance Initiative is, at its core, about leadership. And the MPI likely has a larger scope and, and certainly uh, more potential, I think, than any strategic initiative I know of in the American Fire Service. And uh, the remarkable thing about it is that it's being facilitated from the bottom up rather than from the top down. The key players that, that are advancing this initiative are their firefighters and company officers, right? And they're being actively supported and granted a large amount of latitude to exercise initiative by the senior leadership of the FDNY. And this is to the great credit of the program uh, and the organization. Given everything we've covered today, does this mean that you've got it all figured out as a leader? And I actually have written in my notes, wink, elbow. <laughs> yeah, because you know that I don't, right? <laughs> no, that, so that's a tough question. But the, the truth is, the truth is, the more I learn, the more I understand how little I know. Uh, I mean, really. Um, the journey of learning is really a, a humbling one. Um, it, it's challenging stuff, right? Because there's a lot of dimensions. M mission oriented leadership is equal parts science and art. And, um, to be a, a solidly evolving practitioner, I think you, you need to have both knowledge and wisdom. And, uh, David Brooks says in, in his book, the road to character that we can be knowledgeable with other people's knowledge, but we can't be wise with other people's wisdom. And I think that's because wisdom is proprietary, right? It, it takes time. Uh, to get. Uh, it takes a lot of trials along the way to earn it. It's a slow cooker process. So I found that kind of carefully developing your philosophy and identifying your non-negotiables is less complicated than consistently putting it into practice, right? And I'll be the first to admit that I get it wrong my fair share. Um, but I, I keep learning from my mistakes, hopefully, and trying to be a little bit better every day. So do I have it all figured out? Absolutely, absolutely not. And to be honest with you, Patty, I don't know if I if I ever will. I doubt it. Well, it is a continued effort. So what are some of the biggest challenges that you navigate as a staff chief in a professional fire department? And this is a really important question to me because I grew up in New York City. The FDNY is so familiar to me, but it's not the norm in most of the country in terms of size and resources. Right. So if you want to talk about the difference, so we'll talk about the challenges in a minute. When you want to talk about the distinction, I think, between the FDNY and all of the other fire departments in the country is that uh, I think that uh, in the New York City Fire Department, a chief officer, for example, he has a job and he or she does that job. In most other fire departments, a chief officer has has seven jobs, right? Uh, and and uh that can make things really hard to juggle um, sometimes. 
And so that really leads into the problem with, with challenges, and there's several. But I think that any chief officer, um, whether it be in the New York City Fire Department or, or any other fire department in the country, would tell you the same thing. It's certainly true for me. It's the intersection of time and priorities, right? I mean, I'm committed to being a mission-oriented leader, and, and I know that my greatest time investment should be with my coworkers, right? Whether it's training and drilling and telling stories and sharing experiences and workshopping ideas, but, uh, but the, the tyranny of urgency will hijack every day if you let it. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm learning how to kind of rebalance priorities so that I can spend more time investing in the people that I work with and, and in the organization and less time being kind of held hostage by phone calls and emails and administrative work and, and this sort of thing. Um, but it's a challenge. All of that stuff is important and it has to be done, but I'm really uh, convicted that it comes at a pretty steep cost. So before we wrap up today, I'd like to try something. Hannah Huseman, who of course you know, was on the podcast recently and in the spirit of Mental Sweat Monday, we had a rapid fire discussion and I would like to try that with you, but we'll modify it a little bit if that's okay. And you still have to use your mental skills to get through this, I think. <laughs> Maybe not. But I'm going to ask you a few short questions, and I'm looking for a concise answer. Okay. Let's, uh, let's do it. <laughs> Favorite leadership book and why? <laughs> and did you say concise answer? And rapid. <laughs> rapid. <laughs> so there's no hack for leadership, right? There's no TED Talk or book or college class that gives the answer, but uh... – I think what really started my journey was Boyd by Robert Corm that I mentioned. I mean, John Boyd was perhaps the brightest and, and most tireless intellect in the last half of, of the 20th century. And in terms of military reformers, he's only paralleled by the likes of like Sun Tzu and, and Von Clausewitz. Um, he dedicated his life to learning how to optimize everything from aircraft design to, to, to how we learn, to how we best make rapid uh, decisions under stress. And uh, he was the leader of a team of acolytes that included Colonel Mike Wiley, who you've had on the show. Yeah. And uh, I guess if I had to choose a book uh, right now for for um, leaders to read, it would be Boyd. I like it. Favorite fiction book that speaks to leadership and why? Mm. We sometimes forget about fiction. Well, there's there are several here as well. And so um, – I'll pick a series that I just got done reading with my daughter, and that's the Chronicles of Narnia, right? Uh, the Chronicles, I think, are all about leadership, and more specifically, the the evolution of a leader and the trials that that shape them. And uh, you know, you go through Narnia's different books, and there's like innumerable pictures of of leaders, and some are children, and some are ill-equipped adults, and some are blue blood royalty, and many are informal leaders, but all of them, right? All of them face life-altering challenges, so. Narnia is all about the struggle between good and evil, and and uh, uh, I, that that would have to be my choice for favorite fiction. I like that one. I wasn't expecting it. Favorite leadership quote and why? Philippians two, three, and four, which says, "Do nothing out of selfish ambition or or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, and not looking to your own interests, but each of each uh, each of you." look to the uh, to the interests of others. Great. You mentioned Boyd earlier, but favorite historical leader and why? Hmm. Well, I would have to say Winston Churchill. Mm. Um primarily because he just 
endured an enormous amount of failure during the course of his career, yet he continued to, to persevere uh, with a positive attitude until he did. Uh, he changed the course of history in a positive way. Favorite military leader and why? Uh, this one's easy for me. Uh, I would choose Admiral James Stockdale. Right, uh, Admiral Stockdale spent several years in the Hanoi Hilton as a prisoner of war, and, and he was the senior leader there. So um, he was really the focus of relentless torture, both physically and emotionally. But but he endured, and during his whole time there, he continued to set an, an, an example, really, of strength and composure for for the other POWs. And uh, he went on after his release from uh, um, to to live a very productive life. And he wrote a number of books that I would recommend to any leader as well, including um, Thoughts from a Philosophical Fighter Pilot. Mm-hmm. Favorite biblical leader and why? I would choose the Apostle Paul because uh, – he he embodied perseverance and humility as well. He was really tireless and relentless in his mission, which was to spread the gospel through the known world. And I think despite heinous persecution and being shipwrecked and mocked and imprisoned and and bearing a physical infirmity, he just he never faltered. He kept uh he, he kept at it. And last, favorite athletic leader or coach? Yeah, this one's easy for me too, Patty, and, and uh I I would pick Sandy Alderson for sure. Um, you know, Sandy's the former manager of the, of the New York Mets and, and, uh, the Oakland A's. And he's probably, he's probably the smartest man I've ever met and one of the most humble as well. And in, di- in addition to, uh, uh, being a distinguished combat leader of Marines in Vietnam, he, he came to major league baseball, uh, and, and, uh, he was able to, to really apply what we know now are unparalleled critical thinking skills to the game. And as, as GM of the A's and later of the Mets, he, he, re, he really revolutionized baseball in a way that, that maybe no one ever had. So there's a lot to be learned about reform from Sandy Alderson uh, as well. And you can read about him in, um, in the book Baseball Maverick by Steve Kemmer. Yeah, great read. We covered a lot of ground. I so appreciate you being here in person today. It's such a pleasure to have this time with you. And thank you so much for sharing all of your insight with our listeners. It's always a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the opportunity, Patty. And, and thanks for uh, thanks for what you do. There's a lot of people that are really loving your podcast. Sweet. The Leadership Under Fire podcast provides a platform that helps to prepare performance leaders to navigate the moral, mental, emotional, intellectual, and physical rigors in high-risk and ultra-competitive settings by developing strength of mind, body, character, and critical thought. For more on this, visit leadershipunderfire.com.